Hello there, and welcome back to Syracuse Sports with Brent Dax, or maybe you're here for the first time. Hi, my name's Brent. We talk sports, and it's all presented by Krause Health, the exclusive healthcare provider for SU Athletics. Letters, we get letters, we get sacks and sacks of letters. Any Letterman fans in the house? It's a mailbag episode. All questions from you guys. We got voicemails. We got emails. We got tweets. We got it all for you, friends. Nate Mink, my friend from Syracuse.com, is going to come in, kind of play master of ceremonies, and we are going to discuss a number of things today. Can't wait to dive in. We're going to do it shortly, but a couple of reminders before we do. Thursday night, Syracuse, Virginia Tech, Emily Liker and I, live post game. We're going to do it live. So make sure you're following us, Syracuse Orange Football, on Facebook. Make sure you follow us, Syracuse Orange Sports, on YouTube. Follow me on Twitter, at Brent Axe Media. All the places here, we'll put it on your screen so you can know where to follow us and get the live post-game show. And it's going to be late Thursday night after Syracuse takes on Virginia Tech, enter Sandman, Lane Stadium, the whole thing, the Orange coming off a bye. So... Our podcast will be live Thursday night. It'll certainly be up in podcast form on Friday, all the post-game conversation after the Orange take on Virginia Tech. So that is coming on Thursday, and we are looking forward to that, and we look forward to highlighting your comments live as the show happens. And the voicemail line is 315-552-1964. You can leave us a voicemail anytime during the game if you want your uh, voicemails played on post-game or on a mailbag episode like this. So those are the ways to get in touch. Nate and I went nearly an hour. We had great questions from you, great discussion on Syracuse football, Syracuse basketball, NIL, and so much more. So let us not wait a moment further. Let's dive in here on an all-mailbag episode of Syracuse Sports. They came from letters, they came from emails, they came from voicemails and social media. Your questions, your comments, and our master of ceremonies, Nate Mank is back on Syracuse Sports to present all of these thoughts. How are you, Nate? Doing doing well, Brent. Uh, for those watching on YouTube, you'll see I have a, a headset on. I, I prefer air traffic controller <laughs> sometimes rather than, than hands free ceremonies. Yeah, gotta be hands free in this whole this whole thing. It's very That's active. Right. But I'm I'm good, refreshed, rejuvenated. Um, took a mental health break, uh, day off on Friday, uh, celebrating. Well deserved. Of, of good for you. Week. How did you celebrate your 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 bye week? I celebrated my bye week by putting away all the outside furniture, um, and I actually had a pretty lazy day on Saturday. I kind of didn't know what to do with myself. <laughs> it was what, my wife and daughter were on a college visit. And I stayed home to watch the pets. And other than putting the furniture away, I was just kind of hanging around. Like, I was a bachelor again. It was weird. But I enjoyed it. So uh, we, had a, we had a lazy weekend uh, in, the, in the Mink household as well. Uh, we were initially going to go to New York this weekend, but decided to bag the trip oh. due to uh, inclement, rainy, uh, yucky weather down in the Big Apple. And so uh, we're targeting uh, going down there uh, this coming weekend because of the Thursday night Syracuse football game. Uh, our Saturday is going to be uh, readily available again. So we have the audacity to take one of our rare home weekends in Syracuse and pick up our stuff and go to New York. 
How about that? Who would give up a home weekend in Syracuse to go to New York? Who would do that, Brent? Prime fall time, and you're heading down to New York City. Yeah. God bless you. Now, it's weird because it's a Thursday night game this week, and then next week it's a Friday night. So we're actually going to have three free weekends in a way because basketball will be starting. I say free in, in air quotes. But that's how the schedule breaks out, Nate. And I know we got a lot of football questions to get to here, and it's going to be fascinating to see how this team handles the second half and these the weird schedule. And Have you experienced the, uh, the Enter Sandman intro at Virginia Tech? Have you been a part of that? Uh, not for a Thursday night game. I was down there in, in 2021 – uh, when when Schrader threw the pass to to Alfred to win the game in the in the final minute, uh, they had a really you know actually what 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 I will remember about that trip um, for for a long long time is how it it the the campus and and the town of Blacksburg and the stadium and the way the the parking and the tailgating is down in Blacksburg uh, reminds me a lot of. Uh, State College and sort of the game day atmosphere that I grew up going to uh, at Pennsylvania State University oh, wow. uh, back in the day. Um, you know, it, stadium structure similar to even down in Tallahassee, a rector set type of old architecture. Um, <laughs> and, you know, another thing that I've had, you know, you just it's it's amazing the things that you'll remember from just uh, specific games. Um, Frank Beamer was at the game and, and I think the AD suite uh, adjacent to the press box. So, you know, I was kind of watching every now and then I was peeking over uh, to see how he was responding. Cause this was, you got to remember, this was Justin Fuentes last year. Uh, I, th- I think it was ended up being his, his final season. He ended up uh, getting let go by Virginia tech. So there was a lot of sort of uh, discontent and uh, uh, uproar about the state of the program down in Blacksburg at the time. And, that that also is what struck me is 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 a little bit of maybe how quiet uh i don't want to say totally empty the stadium was because i don't know if it's ever truly empty down there but um just the 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 vibe and the buzz around town even when we came into blacksburg uh and flew into roanoke the day before you know the the buzz maybe wasn't as palpable as as you know certainly i wasn't i wasn't a part of, of of this you know 20 years wow. ago when they were in the big east but um you know I, i'm i'm i imagine there is a lot of uh, there's a lot of hokey fans in that town uh and in that region that you know um maybe you're just uh adopted a little bit of a different game day routine towards the end of the, of the fuente era and just decided to either take a pass or you're uh just drive in for the game and not make it a weekend trip like some of these other destination, you know, tent pole. So you got the opposite of what a Thursday night enter Sandman lane stadium at night experience would be. Unfortunately, I guess. I mean, they still played the song. It was still really, really cool. Um, you know, but, but again, I mean, Virginia tech wasn't, you know, really clicking and firing on all cylinders the way the, the, I guess some down there believe that they are capable of being, uh, in, in this era. But, uh, nevertheless, it, it was for the for the ACC uh, and sort of the makeup of the, the schools that are in that conference. It is one of the, the top college game day atmospheres in the league. So they have that going for them, which is nice. All right, Nate, the letters, the emails. I, I actually literally got a letter this week from somebody, not for this mailbag, but a nice handwritten letter. Uh, they so came can, from all points. So we can keep we can keep the term mailbag because yes. I got to I got to admit yes. um it, I literally it, got a mail a letter in the mail. Mail so mailbag mail is bag. a little antiquated these days um and I don't what have What should we call it the inbox? 
I think we got to call it like the Bagu or uh, or the Lululemon uh, uh, shoulder shoulder bag. You know, that's what the kids are wearing. I, I vote against that. We'll we'll have to come up with something else unless they sponsor this podcast. Then I'd be happy to call it whatever they they would like. All right, what do you got, my friend? So we came from all points here. We we kicked off with football, and yep. uh, we're gonna we're gonna start off with football and and uh, personnel driven questions. One one guy is not even on the team anymore. Another guy is on the team, but he is inactive due to uh, a foot injury. Uh, but but there's some readers out there that wanted to uh, take your temperature, Brent, on uh, Deuce Chestnut mm-hmm. and Aronde Gadsden, and we'll start with with Chestnut. Obviously, uh, uh, transferred down to LSU this off season. Uh, played in the opener against Florida State, had a pick, uh, had some, some uh, you know, got picked on a little bit by Keon Coleman in the second half of that game, and, and Florida State ended up running away. Uh, since that time, he has seen uh, very few, very little playing time. He is currently uh, not active. I think Brian Kelly used that term. He is inactive, still on scholarship. Uh, the school says he's still taking classes in Baton Rouge, but he is not, for all intents and purposes, uh, with the team at this point. So right. uh, there's a little there's a there raises a lot of questions about what's going on with Deuce and uh, what his future perhaps is uh, in college football or, or uh, at LSU in general. And so uh, fans are fans are wondering um, if if Deuce, uh, given uh, you know his progress uh, academically, and he is able to graduate with a degree and and be able to uh, hit the transfer wire a second a second time and 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 retain eligibility and become immediately eligible would syracuse take chestnut back uh so i'm gonna i'm gonna put you in in the gm chair uh you are you are babers uh do you if if chestnut wants to come back and he is eligible to come back would you take him back of course, I would definitely take him back. Now, provided he checks all the boxes he needs to check in terms of eligibility and he can play immediately, I don't think I would, I don't think it'd be worth it to take him back if he had to wait another year, right? So, provided he can walk on the field in 2024 for Syracuse football, yes, I would definitely take him back because at the end of the day, you need talent. He is one of the more talented cornerbacks Syracuse has had in the last 15 years. He fit here, he stood out here. He found out the hard way that the grass is not always greener, quite literally, in a sense, if you're seeking NIL money in the in the SEC. As long as he's willing to be humble and embrace Syracuse and come back and be a part of the the Ohana and the family, I would. in my role as general manager or as, as Dino Babers, 100%, I would take him back because I think there's enough players on this team that would for, you know forgive him, for lack of a better term. I don't think players get quite as upset about the transfer and NIL stuff as people outside the, the four walls of the football facility do. And at the end of the day, if you're Syracuse and you got a guy like Deuce Chestnut that wants to play football for you, how do you say no to that? You can't. So I would 100% take him back. I, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. I think there's, there's, there's a lot that we still don't know with Deuce. You know, if you, if you remember back uh, uh, over the summer, when a lot of the LaQuint Allen news came out mm-hmm. uh, relative to his suspension, Deuce Deuce was uh, named as being involved in that altercation in that off-campus party uh, that that turned a little ugly at, at by the end of the night. And so, um, you know, Deuce has not answered questions about that incident. Uh, uh, we have very very limited. Uh, we have essentially one side of what happened that night, which is um, really detailed in in LaQuint's um, court filings from from that incident uh, or from his lawsuit, excuse me. And, and so 
you know, I would, I would be, I would, I would say you would have to vet Chestnut and uh, really make sure That's you fair. know, you know, um, you know, a what his role was in that night, and are, and if you are comfortable, and and I think the way Dino runs his program, I think he would um, pose that to you know some of his captains or some of his team leaders about. Um, whether this is a guy that they would welcome back and would fit back into the program as well. Um, so I think there's there's there, there's maybe a, a, a few more boxes that I think the university and the program would need to check, um, uh, irrespective of what his on-field performance uh, has been. Here, so I guess I could, I, could, I, I could file that under provided he checks all the boxes, right? Absolutely. I would take it back, yeah. Absolutely. That's a, that's a great point to bring up. It's a fair point to bring up. If LaQuint, every, not everybody's in the same boat, I guess, but if LaQuint got cleared, my guess would be Deuce would as well. I wasn't there. I don't know. But, yeah, check all the boxes that you, you can on the surface, and you can't turn down talent like that if you're Dino Babers. Would you have any reservations about how he's performed for LSU on the field this year? Is he the same player he was when he was I here? Mean, Keon Coleman would rip up people in the SEC, too. He did it. He proved it. It wasn't just Deuce that he ripped up in that game. It was primarily Deuce, but not just him. Coleman's a special talent, so I would have no reservations whatsoever because I do think, for the most part, he can hold his own in the ACC. I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. I think, uh, you know, just, just because, you know, you could be an all-ACC performer, and struggle in the SEC or, or, or a more competitive or a bigger conference because the level of competition isn't the same. I mean, just look at the NFL draft picks by conference at the end of every, at the end of every draft, the SEC and the big 10, uh, at least for the last, you know, five years or so have routinely outdistanced uh, the rest of the power five and the rest of the, the, the FBS. Um, you know, there are reasons players who are all Mac performers elect to level up and try to take their talents to a power five league or a group of five all conference performer wants to bet on themselves and see how their skill sets translate to a power five league. It's because, you know, they are looking for, they want to see how they measure up against the best of the best in the country. And I right. think, and I think deuced uh, in, in, in some of his, um, you know, his press clippings alluded to the fact uh playing in the sec playing for for lsu that week-to-week challenge uh in a championship type of environment in a championship setting appealed to him um and 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 i would say just because he was not as uh uh, productive in the sec west does not mean he would not be equally as productive in the acc going against the likes of wake forest boston college uh, Pittsburgh, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, in some respects, uh, the creme de la creme in the ACC is Florida State. And to your point, you know, Coleman got the best of him on that day. Well, Coleman's, you know, a first round wide receiver talent. So he's going to make a lot of cornerbacks, you know, look a little foolish. And one more point on that note, uh, on that, Nate, I would take him back just for the sheer fact I think he's going to be drafted. I, he really hurt his, his stock this year. But if he came back to Syracuse, and balled out, I still think there's some NFL scouts that see him as an NFL prospect, and that's another player that I can brag about that came through Syracuse and went to the National Football League. Look at Garrett Williams this week. Got out there, first play, 
uh, not first play, but his first game after recovering from that ACL injury, gets an interception. Andre Sisco leads the National Football League in interceptions, right? Like the more guys I can point to and say the point, the, the path to the NFL came through Syracuse, the better. Uh, speaking of, of path to from Syracuse to the NFL, it, it looks like all intents and purposes, they have a, a surefire guy uh, in Ronde Gadsden, who is, is maybe the next in line to uh, go from Syracuse to the NFL. Uh, Gadsden obviously is, is not playing anymore this season. He had a, a list Frank injury in week two uh, back in early September. That is a is a really, really nasty foot injury. I mean, it's, you're talking about um, surgery and rehab that could take upwards of almost a year. Uh, so if he uh, elects to return uh, to Syracuse or continue his college football playing career uh, in 2024, you know, all 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 intents and purposes, he will be out for the spring. And, and there's a good chance he will probably be uh, limited, if not entirely held out throughout August practice. So he's got a, he's still got a long, long road to recovery. He's only about a month, month and a half into, uh, into his recovery process. So uh, Gadsden is, is a guy that uh, as, as we get closer to the end of the season is, is going to have to make a decision on whether he wants to, uh, you know, put more tape out there at the college level uh, or uh, roll with what he has put on film to this point and continue his rehab uh, in an NFL type of setting rather than a collegiate setting. So uh, I think it's uh, Steve just wanted to handicap the chances of Gadsden choosing college over professional football. What do you, what do you, how do you handicap that? What do you set the odds on? Well, that's a great question in the sense of this. If he just wants to get drafted, then go to the draft because he'll get picked. I've talked to a couple NFL draft gurus Chris Trapasso included, who I really respect his work from CBS. And he said he'll get picked if all things considered as it stands with the injury, everything. If he wants to be a high draft pick, then you have to come back because you have to prove that. you Nate, you brought up the biggest point in all this. That is a nasty injury. It has ended some NFL careers, due Staley notably, in the past few years. And if I'm going to use a draft pick, at what is a position that there's a lot of wide receiver prospects that come out every year. What makes you stand out, right? What makes a Rondé stand out is he has kind of that combination of being a receiver and a tight end. And he's, he's a versatile player in that sense, but I need to see it. Right. So if I'm going to spend a first or a second round pick, I'm not taking a guy that that almost a little more than half of a productive season got hurt in the first game this year and has that injury, right? I need to see it. So I, Syracuse would certainly welcome him back. It's interesting that Dino did that interview with Andrea Adelson and David Hale a couple of weeks ago and basically spoke as if like, yeah, he, he's coming back. Our friend Chris Carlson asked him about that. And, you know, he kind of, uh, Dino kind of back stepped out of that. Just basically that that's his expectation that he's going to come back. But, you know, put me up against a wall, make me answer the question. He should come back. And I think at this point he will come back. I'm more, I'm leaning more towards, I think he's going to play another year here based on a number of factors. But if he just wants to give it a go and pull a Sean, I mean, Sean Tucker didn't even get drafted, but if you just want to get on a roster and prove yourself that way, then he'll get picked. I'm going to put you, put you up against the wall uh, with a couple, with a couple of variables here. Okay. Does he, does he return to Syracuse? 
if Babers is no longer the coach in I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I, from everything I know about him and his dad, they really like Dino. And why would you? At that point, that would give you a clean break and, and a reason to move on. So I don't think so. Would he come back if the quarterback room next year uh, consists of the same uh, core guys that are in the room this season? Or does I don't think so either. The starters need, a, need to go out and get a quarterback. They need to go get a quarterback no matter what, right? No matter what players are making decisions, no matter who the coach is, no matter what the scenario is. Like that quarterback room always needs to improve, and competition is always a good thing. But if it's as it stands, I don't think so. Right, because when you're making this decision, you have to think about your numbers. He'll be a primary target, but it'll be. Uh, we would have seen that play out this year. He would have been double teamed a lot and been the, the primary focus of opposing defenses. There's a lot you got to factor in there. And if I don't have a, a QB one I believe in that can get me the ball where it needs to go consistently, then and I, I don't know if Carlos Del Rio Wilson is that guy then it feels like more of the variables here are lining up towards Rondé not being here in 2024. And and I think as last year showed, you know, Gabson again was a guy who uh, says he turned down a pretty large sum of money to uh, return to Syracuse and, 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 uh, and not, you know, put himself on the market, not, not entertain overtures from other programs who are, who are targeting him as a transfer. It's going to be fascinating to see what his value would be on the market amidst a significant injury the way he has now. You know, in other words, like will it will 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 a team value him the same way knowing that he's going to be unavailable for the spring practice and again possibly unavailable for training camp? How is he going to acclimate into a new program if he's got a if he's got to be in the rehab in the re- in the recovery room, I, I I'll think say that, this, that's interesting to me. When Arande's good, he's as good as it gets. He's as good as it gets in the ACC. I think he would have had a real opportunity to do some damage this year. It's clearly affected this offense. I mean, the connection that he and Schrader had, you could see it. And I think, you know, a lot of things get thrown into the in the conversation here. That injury is just a big red flag. But when you look at the film of when. Aronde Gadsden's at his best. It's hard to resist, and I, and you got thirty general managers out there. I think one of them would take a shot at him, and and maybe maybe other college football programs again might if he if he's not satisfied with with the the situation here in Syracuse. And oh, for he, sure. And he feels he's not ready to to take the plunge to the next level. Um, you know, he does have that transfer option available, so he's got a lot he's got a lot to consider. I think over the next you know, a couple months and, and it'll be fascinating to see uh, where he ends up. Uh, you know, as, as we mentioned, you know, Gadsden was a guy who uh, uh, understands what NIL and, and uh, payment options can be available to players uh, in this day and age of college football. Again, he was a guy uh, that says he turned down uh, a, a, a large sum of money to remain at Syracuse. Brent, we've had a couple, a couple readers want to want to get your thoughts on sort of the, the, the landscape of, of NIL. And that's a, that's a, that's a broad general description for a topic that uh, can obviously veer off in a number of different directions. But uh, we have our friend, John S wanting to, uh, uh, to his credit uh, talks about being uh, 
a, a little bit old school. Uh, he, he says, uh, Brent, I've always felt that NIL has totally skewed the recruiting game, even more skewed than it has always been. I know it's old fashioned air quotes to, to think that, but whatever happened to a free college education to a quality <laughs> school being the incentive for recruitment. Uh, I'm a proud SU grad, but really feel that money has ruined the college recruiting game, probably parentheses and sadly irreparably, irreparably, irreparable damage <laughs> has been done to the college game because of NIL. Uh, you know, John, to his credit, puts forth a, a, an idea. Why not share uh, NIL money with the non-stars on the team who really facilitate the success of the NIL stars? So he he is uh, an advocate for spreading the wealth around. Uh, and at the same time, he, uh, I guess, maybe bemoans, if fair to say, he bemoans a little bit of, of the old way of, of uh, college athletics. I don't know what, what I don't know how to tee up on this other than to say where the toothpaste is not going back in the tube. Um, fire away. Okay, listen. I get longing for the past. I see a lot of things come up. I, I, I subscribe to way too many like nostalgia feeds on Instagram and I see like commercials for old toys and the way it was back in 1987 and I, I long for those days but the incentive of getting a scholarship to play college football for we're talking about the Aronde Gatsons of the world that's still an incentive for a lot of players that will never sniff professional football and that is good enough for a lot of players out there so that still exists that's still a thing but if we're talking about like high level big time players the difference between you know being a program contending for a conference championship or not the schools have long taken advantage of those type of players. And, you know, the chickens came home to roost, so to say. And I am all for it. NIL has not irreparably damaged college sports. It has made it better, in my opinion, because it has given those players the options and the choices they did not have before. The problem with NIL is how it's regulated. The problem with NIL was the NCAA, and not just them, but this was the primary reason, in my opinion, just like turning on the fire hose two summers ago and basically going from fighting it literally with, you know, court decisions taking not this was not an NIL decision, but the Supreme Court of the United States ruled in a similar case about compensation for athletes and lost nine to nothing. And I remember Justice Kavanaugh basically saying to the NCAA, like, don't come back here because you will lose again. It, that's the problem, is they really blew it in putting any type of guardrails in place that wouldn't prevent all the problems we're in now, Nate, but I think would have somewhat eased the tensions there, right? I also look at the popularity of the game. Now, I'm smart enough to know that there is a writer strike, and a lot of the ratings boosts that are happening in college football are to the fact that there's more college football games on in places in, in some places where otherwise they'd have scripted programming and live sports is one of the last things that actually gets ratings in television, but college football has almost never been popular than it is now. And stars are what attract people to sports. I remember even growing up as a kid and I, I didn't go to Syracuse basketball games because I liked the product as a whole. I like Pearl Washington. I like Sherman Douglas. I like Derek Coleman. I got a 
There's Derek Coleman right there, right? Eventually, you grow into a bigger fan of bigger things. But it's those stars that attract people to the game. And now those stars are getting compensated the way they need to. So that's my long-winded rant to say, maybe it wasn't better in the old days, John. Maybe those those guys that I'm talking about should have got a little more for what they had other than a scholarship. And that's what they'd always hold on their head. Oh, you're getting a free education, right? Well, it's kind of evolved past that, if you ask me. Uh, there's a uh, New York Times did an article uh, this week um, uh, examining uh, collectives across college sports, and it's, and it's uh, the 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 author of the, the the lead reporter, one of the lead reporters on the story, is the same guy who uh, dug into uh, Trump's taxes uh, when Trump was okay. president. Okay. So you know this is this is a guy that, that knows what he's knows how to find stuff and and is. Uh, you know, so so anyway, so um, you know, he he pulled out. He was able to he was able to uh, he was able to pull out a, a few interesting numbers uh, that I that I want to share here that I think um, sort of just speak to the moment and the reality of of of, of where we're at with 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 paying players right now. Open Doors, uh, which is um, you know a company that keeps track of uh, NIL related transactions, uh, they have data that. Uh, shows that the average starter at a big time college football program takes in about one hundred and three thousand dollars a year. Now, you know what what qualifies as a big time program. I don't want to get hung up on semantics, but, you know, it's a figure. Cade McNamara here, here, maybe to drill down a little bit deeper is a more precise example that can really paint the picture here. Cade McNamara. Uh, transfer quarterback from Michigan goes to Iowa to be their starting quarterback. He's he's unfortunately suffered a, a, a season-ending injury, so McNamara is out for the for the year. Uh, he is doing the type of work on uh, on behalf of a collective that is, I would say, typical uh, uh, across the industry. Uh, uh, guys who have agreements with with uh, foundations or collectives will go perform some type of charity work or do some sort of so, some sort of social media post and they will get compensated for that work. McNamara, according to the New York Times, McNamara made six hundred dollars an hour for his work. Good for him. That's pretty good. Pretty good, good for him. Texas Tech, their collective says they pay every football player on roster at least twenty five thousand dollars. Every uh, again, every football player, not just the stars, every player. Now there, there are that's you know, spread the, the article goes yeah. into into details about maybe some of the the the, sh- the you know the the shaded side of NIL. You know, gets into the disparity between paying male athletes versus paying female athletes, and that and that's a real thing. You know, collectives they are not bound by Title IX law the way mm-hmm. uh, the universities are, which you know. Uh, Critics might argue that is that is essentially why they keep an arm's length away from the universities to 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 sort of work around some of these some of these potential issues. Um, but but I think the 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 point is is that um, you know paying paying players is is just the reality of big time college athletics in in 2023 2024 and. Um, and we're not, we're not, we're not going, we're not going back to the old ways. And so, you know, you have a, you have a choice as an institution, whether I think to embrace it or, or just, uh, or just bemoan sort of the, the state of affairs. And it, and I find it, I find it in some respects interesting. And I know I'm dealing with a very, very small sample size here, Brent, but um, I'd, I'd be curious to know, like how many fans of 
Texas Tech or Notre Dame or Miami or, uh, you know, some of these other places that, you know, have embraced, you know, NIL to a certain degree, bemoan the old way of doing things versus (laughs) versus just like um, getting on board and being bold and aggressive in in trying to recruit and retain, you know, the, the the best players on, on their team and, the, and and try to field and build the best roster they can to, to compete. So, um, you know, a little, a little NIL discussion, actually, I think dovetails pretty nicely with um, a tweet you got from, from Todd NY 25 mm. who asked how has, or will NIL shape the future of college sports? And are we headed to a day of reckoning for the concept of student athlete? We're not heading for a day of reckoning. It's already happened. Like we're living it now. The athletes are getting the compensation they have long deserved. It is an open market. It's not fair. It never was fair in the old way. It's either, you know, envelopes in a back room or it's all open. You brought up the disparity between maybe male and female athletes, but at least a female athlete now has the opportunity to put matters in her own hands, get on social media and I forget her name off the top of my head, Nate, the, the gymnast at LSU who just made a huge, she's in one of the commercials for the Manning cast, right? NIL afforded her the opportunity to do that. The Cavander twins at Miami, right? Some people don't like some of their methods, but they took a market, took advantage of it. And I guess influencer is the term old man coming up with modern terms, but there's a pathway to do that now. So I think both Todd and John kind of, maybe they don't like the way it's going and they're kind of hinting like it's going to bring down college sports as we know it. To me, that's a good thing because college sports needed a shakeup. The system needed this infusion of uh, trying to equalize the market, I guess, for lack of a better term. And I'm loving every second of it because I think these athletes, the, the concept of college athletics waved by by a long time ago. And I think maybe that's what people miss is that feeling that it is college athletics and, you know, everything that comes with that and the traditions of it. And I understand that, but that that's, it's not the fault of the athletes. It's the fault of the system failing for so long, the NCAA and others pushing against this for so long and they lost. And now we're, we're seeing the result of it and I'm fine with it. So Todd paints day of reckoning as like a bad thing. I see it as a good thing. I see it as, you know, the athletes strike back in a way to uh, go off a star Wars movie uh, title. Yeah. I I think the day of reckoning could be coming for the literal term or the literal concept of student athlete with respect to, are you going to be designated something else? AKA an employee employees. Yes. And, and I, and I think, you know, we are, we are certainly, you know, the train is rolling down that tracks uh, track and um, you know, in in some respects it it explains why, you know, college athletic leaders spend so much time in Washington DC these days um, trying to get certain legislative protections against that's what uh, they're afraid of collapsing business model. That's what they're afraid of, which is why to me, they should have embraced this. If they embraced this and, and, didn't resist it for so long becoming employees would have probably i don't want to say never would have been on the table but it wouldn't be quite as prevalent a conversation as it is now i'm not as big of a fan of that by the way what i like about nil is 
you are making money off your name, image, and likeness. It is it is marketing. It is branding. It is an individual thing while using the brand of the school that you go to, which, by the way, that's what college is for. You go to a major university to better yourself and prepare yourself for whatever steps you want to take into the real world. The employee thing, we could do a whole podcast on that. I'm not as big of a fan of that. But like I said, they, they made their bed. Now they got to sleep in it. So you had you had mentioned uh, you had brought up Coleman, uh, who you have behind you for those watching on YouTube. Um, you know Coleman, uh, McNamara, Anthony, uh, uh, Douglas. All these guys are are very fascinating uh, case studies in retrospect to 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 I guess speculate or wonder you know what they could have earned in a name, image, and likeness era. What they could have got gotten or commanded on an open market uh, if they were eligible in, in 2023 as opposed to 1993 or so. Um, and I think that's a that's a fairly fairly good way to transition into some men's basketball talk, Brent, because uh, you know basketball season's right around the corner. Uh, as, as we record here on October 24th, we got a men's exhibition opener on on uh, uh, on on Friday, October 27th. Uh, that will be a, a sneak peek of uh, the Adrian Autry era, the first uh, exhibition game for uh, Autry and JJ Starling and, uh, uh, you know, Kyle Cuff and some of the, the new faces in the program. Unfortunately, Chance Westry, as, as we learned uh, last week, suffered a, suffered a lower body injury, is going to be out indefinitely. So uh, he's going to be sidelined for a little bit of time. But uh, nevertheless, uh, Hoops hoops is in the air here in, in central New York. And, uh we're starting to get some questions about uh, the prospects or the outlook for for Syracuse basketball in, in Autry's first season. So we're going to sort of uh, combine uh, two reader questions here, Brent, one okay. from uh, Jacob and another from uh, Mr. Ed 315 on on Twitter. Uh, Jacob uh, is curious about the depth that this uh, roster uh, seemingly has under Autry and how Autry might utilize that depth. Uh, and, and he asked, do we see a deeper rotation from Autry than what we're used to seeing from Bayheim? So I'll, I'll tee up on that and, okay. and let you go. I'm going to answer that question, but I just thought of this, which combines this conversation with NIL. So I'm showing the camera, Nate. They, they came up with these Syracuse basketball trading cards. This is back in the late 1980s, okay? There's Billy Owens, right? My man, Eric Rogers, okay? Stevie Thompson, right there. They didn't get paid a dime for this. There are sponsors on this thing. In 2023, they'd get a little money for this. So I just thought I'd add that to the, the discussion. I just remembered I had those on my shelf here, other than DC, who's over my shoulder. Okay, in terms of the rotation, well, Adrian Autry said he's going to at Media Day, right? He had all the right notes at his Media Day thing. It wasn't quite as boombastic as a Jim Beheim, you know, the Big Ten sucks kind of uh, Media Day. But the two things that Autry said that were just music to Syracuse fans' ears, he's going to play man-to-man defense, and he is going to go deeper on the bench. And what I like about that is he looks at this team, it's and it's best for this team that he does it, right? It's not best for this team to limit it to six or seven. This is a team that's versatile. This is a team that needs to find some three-point shooters at different points, right? So you have to go down the bench a little deeper to see who amongst those players on that bench, and Syracuse unfortunately lost Chance Westry for an indefinite amount of time, but who amongst those players that are going to come off the bench are the three-point shooters, 
right? You have Naheem McLeod in the middle, but he's inevitably going to get into foul trouble, right? So who amongst Moni or Hema and those guys are going to mix in and change up things defensively? Is is Naheem McLeod a guy that can play zone and man? Everybody focuses on J.J. and Judah in the backcourt, and I, that's a great backcourt, but there's enough depth at guard. Nate, when I was at media day, I asked every player I talked to, and it was about 10 players, who was the most improved player on the team from the end of last season till the beginning of this season? Every single player mentioned Quadir Copeland. Every one of them as the guy that's just stood out in practice. So there's a bench guy that can really give you a pop coming into games. So I think it benefits Autry to put in a rotation, to go deeper, to mix things up, match up with the opponent, be like, what's our best lineup for this? Inevitably, you're going to settle in on some guys, but I believe him. I believe him when he said at media day, and I know things get said at media day. I've heard Jim Beheim say that before, and it all falls apart after a couple of games. But I do think Autry sees it as a benefit to go deeper on his bench too in a world where we're in the transfer portal and you're constantly recruiting and trying to establish yourself as a coach and establish what your philosophy is going to be. If you can show you're playing eight, nine guys, that only benefits you. Not only this team, it benefits you as you're building a program in your image. Copeland is, is, is definitely a guy that, that I have circled uh, in the wake of, of Westry's injury uh, as, as a guy who, who, you know, might see an elevated role now um, just given, given one less body, one less person that you have under consideration for, for some serious PT. You know, I, I think the rotation, I'm sort of with you. I, I'm sort of a, a I'll, you know, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, flashing that yellow caution light a little bit. You know, I, 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 I hear what Autry's plan is. You know, I look up and down the roster and I think he's got, you know, uh, different body types that are that in some respects are very similar that that dovetail into having a little bit more versatility. Everyone's not just locked in to a certain position. Um, That being said, I think part of this whole conversation and what makes it fascinating is, you know, Autry being a first year coach, he's going to have to figure some of this stuff out for the first time he's going to have to experiment or um you know get a feel for uh you know what his best rotations are who who can do what in a game in a game like environment not necessarily just a practice like environment and he's gonna he's gonna be pulling you know levers in in some tense in some tense moments once the ball gets rolled out for the first time this year that i think is you know, for lack of a better word, just going to be fascinating to see how he manages the game. And, you know, you can you can have a plan about saying you want to play X amount of guys. But in the heat of the battle, when it's when it's the final four minutes or, uh, you know, you're you're uh, the flow of the game is is, is dictated by uh, by an opponent or, you know, all these other sort of variables that can inevitably pop up in the course of of a 40 minute game. Um you know, what are you going to decide to do in that moment is so much more revealing and so much more telling than what you are going to say you are going to do in mid, in the middle of October. And so it's fair. You know, that's the part of what is going to make this fascinating is because he, for the, for the first time has 
total jurisdiction over what that decision is. He's not exactly. just making a recommendation. He has to do that. He has and to he do has it. And he has to make a call, and that call is going to, you know, uh, have a certain outcome or a certain result that will be, you know, scrutinized or or, uh, this is, or praised. This is something I should ask Adrian next time I get a chance to talk to him. I don't think anybody's asked him this, so don't don't steal my question out there. How many times has he sat there as an assistant coach and not necessarily disagree with Bayheim? He certainly would offer his intel and, you know, the Jim's Jim and he's just going to do what he's going to do. But what's an example maybe of a rotation that just would have been different or how many times he simulated that in his head? Like any assistant coach worth his salt, I think, is coaching the game themselves in a way. And I wonder what those differences are, or what his philosophy would be. And look at a guy like Leonard Hamilton at, F- at uh, Florida State he's known for playing a lot of guys, right? By and large. But like you said, Nate, when it comes down to it in those tense moments, he's not subbing guys just to sub guys. You play your best in that spot. That's why I always said, and I'll say it about Autry too, Jim Beheim's starting lineup was always the most overrated thing because he's going to put his five best guys on the court when it mattered. For all the criticism of Beheim's rotation, the five best guys are on the court when it mattered, right? I think Autry will fall into, into that as well, but you still have a lot of games and a lot of things to establish and a lot of time where I think it will benefit you to go deep on the bench and see what you got. Uh, said it said another way, you know, you're going to, you're going to do what you need to do to win the game. And, it, and it's, of course. It, 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 in some respects, it's, it's, it's really, it's really that simple. Um, so Syracuse fans are obviously hoping the orange win a lot of games. How good is this team going to be this year, Brent? Uh, the old uh, prediction. Nay, I really want to say this team's going to make the NCAA tournament. I really do. Like, I'm so close to it. The thing that's stopping me is that schedule is just, it's brutal. Adrian Autry joked about that at media day when he was asked about the schedule. And he's like, oh, I didn't make this schedule. <laughs> if I'm a first-year coach trying to ease my way in, into a job like this, even at a high-level ACC program, like, I'm not putting this non-conference schedule together. And some of it has evolved naturally, like Colgate. Colgate's the third game of the year. Guess what? Colgate's beat you twice in a row, and they're like a legit year-in-year-out NCAA tournament program. And then the Maui Classic, of course. And, you know, there's inevitably some non-conference games that are always tougher than you think. And you got LSU coming to the Dome, and we're going to go to South Dakota to play Oregon. And it's like, man, this – Paul Pasqualoni used to say it, hottest fire makes the strongest steel. And we'll see if that's the case for Syracuse. And, Nate, given the importance of the non-conference schedule, I just feel like there's going to be too many blips on that for Syracuse to overcome. But I'll say this. They will be a bubble team. They will be in the conversation for the tournament. This is not going to be a year where, you know, Joe Lenardi pops on the screen and you groan because Syracuse isn't even in the bracketology. They'll be there. Do I think they're going to make the tournament? I'm not going to go that far and, and put money on it, but they can. I'm not going to completely brush that aside. I think given the state of college basketball today and how you just have to quickly reset things, new coach and all, this team can make the tournament. Am I going to say they're going to? No. Yeah, no, I think I'd, I agree with everything you said. I think another another variable here is, you know, the old adage, a rising tide lifts all boats. You know, mm-hmm. Syracuse can only benefit by the ACC scalping a few non-conference wins and, you know, just flat out, performing better out of conference than they have in previous years because at the end of the day if the ACC 
is evaluated or measured as, you know, I don't know, the, the, the fourth or fifth or sixth best conference, and there's a limited number of bids available in that league, that's really going to crank the pressure on you to perform exceptionally well in conference. And um, the days of going 500 in the ACC, at least in the last few years, um, that's not enough anymore. Whereas in previous years, maybe, maybe it allows you to sneak in and, and get one of those final bids. So some good meaty basketball there, Nate. Before we do go, though, I have a couple of voicemails I wanted to play, and you can reach us by voicemail at 315-552-1964. Uh, we are going to go back to football for both of these, and it starts with a question from my guy, Dom. Hey, Brent, this is Dominic in North Carolina. Um, what are the combined um, records of private Power 5 football schools in the time that Dino has been coached at Syracuse, besides Notre Dame, because they're a totally different animal and you can't um, put them in there. Because me personally, I think that is who um, Syracuse should be judged against. Okay, that's Dominic. Did the research for you, buddy. I did include Notre Dame because they are a private school. But amongst your peers in the Dino Babers era, let's briefly go over the records. Okay. Syracuse 40 and 52 in that mark. So, Nate, I'm going to give away something. We're going to do a trivia question here. You're going to try and guess who the worst program was. Should I not say the record so you can try and take a guess? So, let yeah, me, so before, let's do this. Before I read the records, I just gave you Syracuse 40 and 52 in that time frame. Before I read the records here, they're the second worst, Nate, of the of the private programs in the power five. That's what I limited this to. Yep. Who's the worst. Yeah, I'm going through, I'm going through each league. So, um, yep. I, I, I believe they are the worst in the ACC. Now you say they're second worst. So, Correct. uh, no in the ACC, yeah. that's going to be, uh, it's going to be below them. Um, you know, pack 12, you're really looking at, you know, you're not really looking at many private schools, frankly. Um, you know, Stanford, uh, but they had it. They had a little bit of a run. Give me, give me the starting point again. Are we going back to, to 2016? This is back to this is the Dino Babers era. I got gotcha. you. All right. 2016. All right. Stanford, Stanford had a couple yep. had a couple years under under Shaw. Uh, Northwestern's had a couple years under Fitz. Uh, you know the obvious the obvious the obvious uh, the obvious choice is, is Vandy. Ding ding I'm gonna ding. Go, I'm going to go Vandy. Great guess, and you are correct. Vanderbilt, 29-62. and 62. That's the worst record. Syracuse is second worst at 40-52. and 52. Now, these are not in order, but I'm just going to go through some more records that I looked up here. Duke is 43-50. and 50. Baylor is 49-46. Wake Forest is 57-38. and 38. Notre Dame, 73-24. and 24. Stanford, 44-45, and 45, so 500. Northwestern, 43-47. and 47. BC 46 and 47, Miami's 57 and 37, USC 60 and 32. I did include SMU in this because they're going to be in the ACC next year. 54 and 38, TCU is 57 and 40, BYU is now a Power Five team, 61 and 36. So Dominic, that answers your question. Judged just against your peers, private schools, Power Five, second worst record. Let's go to our second voicemail here. Now, Brian goes back to our previous episode. David Hale and I from ESPN discussed, you know, is it Syracuse or is it Dino Babers and the expectations of the program? Here's what he said about that. 
Hey, Brian. It's Brian from Northern Virginia, Q's alum and Q's fan. Love what you've been doing on the podcast and want to comment specifically on the recent one with David Hale. Uh, fantastic podcast. Uh, you're probably not going to like my comments, but David was right and you were wrong. Uh, you've been wrong. Uh, your expectations on Syracuse football has simply just missed the mark. In large part, Syracuse is going to be a seven and five to eight and four program because of the dynamics of college football, uh, budget, NIL, and recruiting. And that's just the environment, uh, and that's where Syracuse football sits. You can't compete and rip off nine, 10, 11, 12 wins when your athletics budget is 80 million compared to Florida State's 150 million. Uh, NIL, we just don't have the alums, the numbers, as a result, the dollars to compete with the Ohio States and the Clemsons and the Florida States when it comes to collecting the dollars for NIL. We just don't have it. And finally, recruiting. The dynamics of recruiting have changed. We are not getting the powerhouses in New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, like we were in the 80s and the 90s. Uh, recruiting was regional then. You didn't have Alabama, USC, Florida, Georgia coming in to Jersey, New York, and Pennsylvania back then. Now you do. That's changed. So you need to reset your expectations on Syracuse football. We are not a 9, 10, 11, 12 win program. Maybe once a decade. I agree with that comment on the podcast. But we are a 7, 5 to 8 and 4 program. And I, I hate to say that, but it is what it is in the current college football environment. Anyway, love the podcast. Keep it up. Go Cuse. Thank you, Brian, for your email, or pardon me, your voicemail, which you can reach us at 315-552-1964. Nate, we could do a whole podcast just on that voicemail, frankly, and the expectations for Syracuse football. Here's what I'm going to say in response to that. They're not even meeting that seven-win plateau you're talking about more often than not. If they get there this year, that's only the third winning season in eight years under Dino Babers. So I'm not even talking about 9, 10, 11 wins. I'm talking about the standard you're talking about. They're not getting there consistently. They're not going to bowl games consistently. If they make one this year, that's the first time in a decade they've gone back-to-back years with a bowl game. So I don't think he's wrong, Nate, about realistic expectations in a sense of look at it broadly over a decade, what did you do? But you're in a big boy league. You are, according to your athletic director, an ascendant football brand, right? You have tools available to you now that you didn't in the past that that you referenced there. And I'm not saying you've got to win the league seven out of ten years or even win ten games seven out of ten years. But, Brian, they're not even meeting the expectation you're talking about, right? So I think some questions have to be asked about, is that just an institutional problem or is that a coaching problem, right? Because the institution's not going to change. If they see it as a problem, the coach is going to change. Uh, I, I'm with you, Brent. I think this is a whole other podcast. I think Brian Brian went off in and in a, brought up a lot of great points. And, you know, it, 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 we, we would be doing a disservice to just do this 
in a minute or two because it, it makes for such a richer, deeper, more nuanced conversation. For sure. Uh, that more frankly, to come on that, Brian. I'm not equipped to have on the spot. And uh, my laptop, which is uh, flashing with a, with a low battery, probably is not equipped to, to have at this time. <laughs> but there you but go. Uh, but but I think overall his general point is 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 well taken. And I and I think you know again we can we can we can go in a lot of different directions with this. I, I think, I think, um, the idea that, um, you know, this is a seven, eight win program, you know, I, I am not going to begrudge a fan for aspiring to be more than what you are. Um, but there are, there are institutional choices that have to be made and met for for those expectations to become reality and you know to 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 this point um you know they 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 were they were they have not they were not they were not made uh soon enough to be able to position this program to be that type of program in 2023 whether or not they can't get there in the future you know remains to be seen but um, you know, I would I wouldn't hold your breath on it happening in the next two years. You know, while while the while the facility that's being built remains you know a pile of dirt on the ground. I mean, if that's if that's not going to get ready until 2025, you're not going to be able to recruit to that until 2026 and 2027. So I hate to I hate to say like oh well see you see you in 2028, but um, you know what you're seeing on the field in 2023 is a result of actions and decisions that were made in previous years. And, and I think I'll, I'll leave it at that for now. So more to come on that great uh, voicemails from both you gentlemen there, Nate, thank you for playing master of ceremonies today, being a part of our mailbag episode. Great questions from everybody. You can always keep them coming on X at Brent X media via email, BX at Syracuse.com. And we mentioned the voicemail line, at 315-552-1964. Nate, before your uh, laptop uh, runs dry here, uh, any any closing thoughts before we uh, depart for this episode? Great questions. Uh, keep keep them coming to Brent because uh, I, I like I like popping in every now and again and, and help steer the ship. Still help steer the conversation. Hey guys, thanks for hanging with us here on another episode of Syracuse Sports presented by Krause Health, the exclusive healthcare provider for SU Athletics. Great questions from you guys in the mailbag. Love doing the mailbag episodes. We will certainly do them again, but you can get in touch with us anytime. It doesn't have to be a mailbag episode for you to be a part of it. On X or Twitter, if you prefer Brent Axe Media, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel at Syracuse Orange Sports. You can email me, baxe at syracuse.com, and the voicemail line, 315-552-1964. Just a reminder that Emily Liker and I will be live after Syracuse takes on Virginia Tech. Look for it on Facebook, Twitter, and on YouTube as well. Please subscribe. Please follow on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, or Amazon. Please leave us a review on any of those preferred places. Uh, reviews help us stand out in the podcast world. And it's great to get your feedback, by the way, and what you think of the show. So please leave us a review on any of those places. For those of you that have subscribed, have been a part of the journey here, we thank you so much for that. But tell your friends, the Axe Band's back, baby. Syracuse Sports, subscribe 
wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for listening today. Thanks for watching today. And we will join you again on Syracuse Sports after the Orange take on Virginia Tech Thursday night. Have a good one, everybody.